welcome to the latest Fifth Step podcast. Uh, today I'll be talking to Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray um, about uh, cyber incidents in the UK. Um, and apparently, according to uh, new official figures, um, cyber incidents report from the UK finance sector uh, spiked by a thousand percent in 2018. Obviously, uh, a significant. Uh, possibly unprecedented rise. Um, so, Darren, uh, in your view, um, why, why, why are these uh, events happening? Well, I think there's a number of reasons why they're happening, and we'll go into those. Um, but that thousand percent spike is perhaps sounds unreasonable to some people. But uh, what we have to remember is that there were um, big changes to the way that data breaches and other such things had to be reported last year as part of the GDPR. And the FCA um, certainly have leapt on that as well in, and require additional breach reporting as well. So in that 1,000% uh, spike, that's really why we're seeing that uh, increase. So these things have always been happening in the past, but now they're happening more frequently and more often, uh, and they're being reported so. I mean, a lot of this um, seems to be down to the fact that new web-enabled systems are springing up all over the place and it's leading to an explosion in, in huge you know, volumes of personal financial data. But, you know, these, they're incredibly value, valuable to cyber criminals, aren't they? Yeah, it's amazing. Even uh, data that you might consider to be less valuable, um, they the importance to hackers can be very different value to the importance you might put on it or the value you might put on it because it may complete the circle or complete the amount of information that they need to go on and actually utilize that information so you know even relatively low grade personal information um such as uh, you know a postcode for someone for example can actually provide enough information for a hacker team to move on to the next stage of their um, you know their assault or their campaign is it possible um, that a lot of these uh, attacks are being sparked by, uh, well, phishing attacks, for example, are, are being uh, enabled by sort of more automated processes to hacking? I, I was at a conference, an insurance conference, a few months ago, when uh, an author on the, the, the dark web was talking about how, how the dark web now is being used far more by um, malicious either state agents or in individuals or even corporates, almost corporatized kind of like uh, hacker, hackers who uh, automate uh, the dark web to, to send you a phishing attack. Is that, is that one, one, one potential reason for it? Yeah, there are many, there are many ways that um, these kinds of attacks have been automated and we shouldn't necessarily be surprised about that, you know, um, there are professional hackers, uh, there are um, nation-state hackers, and you can see the difference between um, an unprofessional hacker, and I don't mean unprofessional in the means of um, they don't do it right as such. Yeah. I mean those who are actually doing it for a job. You know, Very often, particularly nation-state uh, uh, hackers, they will log on at 9 o'clock in the morning and they'll log off at 5 p.m. and you can see the, the spike uh, in attacks from certain time zones as those individuals log on and they go to work and you can see the spikes dip off when uh, when they log you know when they log off at uh, 5 p.m or whatever whatever time they finish up yeah. um, you know uh, hacking is a professional you know it's a profession for some people 
We fix, we, we fix age on Hacker, though, I suppose. I think ever since everyone watched War Games in the, in the 1980s, and I apologise to all the listeners out there who aren't old enough to remember <laughs> that, that particular movie, but there's there's a feeling, I think, some, that, that hackers are quite a, a sexy you know term it was nowadays. But in terms of this report that came out, the, the, the causes for a, a lot of um, disruption were actually quite man, man, well, I would not mundane, you know, but there were issues related to equipment and software, you know, problems in switching from one system to another, problems with third-party services. So people might be surprised to know that a lot of these uh, issues are caused by simple, simple lack of controls and governance. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's fair to say, Chris. I mean, that's um, you know, let's take the incident around. Um, hardware and software issues, for example. Now, that may be a coverall for um, you know hackers being able to get in and break into systems. Um, you know, the ultimate failure was at the hardware or the software end, in that they hadn't been secured correctly um, to prevent hackers being able to break in. That may be the uh, the way that this report is written, or that these numbers are written uh, or collated. But to to me. Uh, hardware and software issues actually are underlined by a project ma- management failure. Mm. Now, the reason I say that is because any project to implement change of system, change of hardware, upgrade of hardware, upgrade to the next version of software should include an element of information security and cybersecurity testing and assurance. And where that's not taking place, then systems are being left open and exposed to attacks, uh, to denial of service, or to um, hackers, or to a ransomware and things like that. You know, whatever whatever way uh, the breach or the attack takes place, um, you know, it should have been tested out and should have been exposed well before that, before it was exposed to an unfriendly um, network or world. I mean, I was having a conversation with a. Uh claims management software provider recently and they, they talked about how they helped to transfer they were working for a very large German uh, reinsurance company um, so people who know the business can probably work out who that, who that might be but they were talking about transferring 26 years worth of, uh, of data uh, from an old legacy claim system or workflow system over over to a brand new you know fit for purpose claims management system in 2019 are there are there lots of companies out there who've got sort of legacy systems that would say more than two decades old in your experience or is that oh absolutely yeah absolutely i mean i remember um you know early in my career um working on a on a system this was for a life insurance company a system called life 70 now at the point that I was involved with this you know company in the beginning of my uh, my career that was during the the late 80s this system had already been live for you know a decade and a half at that point in time I found out relatively recently that it had only been retired in the early 2000s um you know this is a system that was running on mainframes and running in cobol and had you know, data that had been transferred into it from a number of years uh, previous as well, from you know a, a preceding system. So, sure, there are systems out there that have data on from uh, from many years ago, um, data that's native to that system. But you'll also have found that data would have been transferred into them either by hand, you know, sometimes rekeyed, but sometimes actually transferred in. That's a relatively large um, job and something that's um, you know, you need uh, professionals for, and you need professional project management to achieve. 
So if you if you were looking uh, to project manage, say a transition um, or a migration of data like the one I, I just mentioned, I mean, how, how much time or effort would, would would that require? Would that need a full time project manager or, or project management office, or would that be possible to be achieved by someone working a few hours or all days a week, or whatever the, the, the figure might be? Yeah, really, it really depends, Chris. Um, but very often we we find that with our high grade. Uh, project managers and experienced project managers that we tend to implement on projects and they're able to work on you know, multiple projects at uh, a time, able to maintain the project management disciplines that are required to work in an area that tends to be, you know, when you're transferring data from one system to another, uh, it all has to reconcile, it all has to you know, come out clean, you have to be able to say you've put so many records in, um, so many records have landed, that all the data adds up, um, you know, the, um, where it's transactional data, it's perhaps easy to see, you know, I've uh, input 15 transactions and, um, you know, they come out to £150 or whatever. It's no good if they reconcile to £151.67, you know, that's, that's not a good outcome. So you have to do all that kind of checking and make sure that all the audit trail is there for those kinds of things so it very much depends on the nature of the project but our project managers tend to work on multiple projects at a time for our clients so it tends to be fractional um on on a project by project basis uh and is there some, is there a kind of you know i'm trying to think of the word a project management standard oh uh, yes absolutely yeah i mean there are a number um the ones that we tend to work to are um you know pm bock uh the um, uh, from the Project Management Institute and uh, obviously one that's better known in the UK and in Europe uh, and uh, Australia as well, I think they use it sometimes as well, um, is Prince2. Okay, and so what, no, do, do they all have uh, fundamentally overlapping sort of like um, standards that, that, that are common to all of them or, or, or is there a distinction between some of the ones you just mentioned? Is there, is there one that you particularly admire? Uh, well, uh, you know, in the past, I've been a member of uh, PMI and used uh, PM Bock. That's uh, very much um, you know seen as an international standard. It's very revered in uh, the US. Um, uh, you know, the PMI are based in the US, so most US companies are very familiar with it. Uh, there are other standards as well. There's an ISO standard for project management as well, mm. um, which is uh, quite close to I think. Uh, I think actually that the PMI may have taken some action against uh, the ISO at some stage because it was uh, their standard was very close to uh, the PMI standard at one point in time. Uh, but you know, Prince Two is a good standard too. Uh, came out of um, uh, came out of uh, the UK government. Um, you know, was used to manage very large and complex projects in management. So it's well proven uh, there too. Uh, there's there's a common. Um uh, misperception as well, wasn't it? That you only need to focus on your own business, but increasingly now in these days of you know um, digital, almost digital supply chains, I suppose um, I, I, I should put it. I mean, you may you may well have all the, the perfect governance and controls in, in your own organisation, uh, but you could be let down by a third party uh, failure, you know, of another supplier. So how how do you, you know, manage those uh, kind of controls? You're absolutely right, Chris, and there have been a number of very high-profile examples of that. Um, I've spoken about it on these podcasts before, but the target breach uh, from, uh, what was it, at least a couple of years ago now, uh, perhaps even three years ago now, um, where there was a whole heap of 
uh, credit card information and personal information was stolen uh, from the large US retailer Target. And uh, at that point in time, um, they couldn't uh, initially they couldn't understand what, how the data had got out. But when they started to track uh, track it back, they uh, identified their uh, HVAC company, the heating and air conditioning company, uh, to be at fault. And what happened is they'd been hacked. This company had links and connections into Target's network to be able to monitor and control the heating and air conditioning in each of their um, shops around the, you know, their stores around uh, the US. And yep. that network had been breached. Uh, the hackers came in um, through a trusted pipe and wreaked havoc in Target's environment, um, you know, stealing lots and lots of data, um, you know, I think it was 150 million credit card details off the top of my head um, that they uh, that they managed to steal. So not not something new, um, but what you have to do to make sure that you're mitigating that. And this was, you know, this was a top number on uh, on this report that we're talking about here, um, you know, from the FCA. Um, it was a top number. So making sure that you've got good vendor management process controls in place, making sure that you're Make, uh, that your vendors are actually adhering to your security standards or higher. I mean, great if they're higher, but as a minimum, they need to be adhering to your security standards uh, and that you're measuring and monitoring that too as part of your vendor management process. And that's something that Fifth Step has worked with organizations of all shapes and sizes uh, to do. And one of the things our clients really love about that is they get something um, tangible and uh, something that they can evidence to be able to say we have verified that this vendor is actually adhering to our standards. You know they're man- you know they're mandated to do so, and here's the evidence to say that we've asked them, and here's the evidence that they provided. I think we were having a conversation last week, and you mentioned that I don't know if it uh, fits in with that, but you were talking about how um, a colleague of yours went went into a, a company in the Midlands. Midlands and as far as they were aware, they had something like 1,600 suppliers. But when he looked into it, um, the situation sort of fluctuated quite wildly. Can you? Is that that's, that's right, isn't it? I mean, if you've yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, in extreme circumstances, um, and there's, you know that particular situation, um, you know, aside, and but not unique. Um, you know, organisations, particularly large organisations, often don't have as clear an idea about the vendors that they're using. As they think they do, um, you know, they may have you know several hundred smaller organisations who are providing, you know, um, perhaps lower tier services to them. You know, maybe janitorial janitorial um, services, even um, you know those kinds of things. You may consider those to be lower grade, but uh, by value, but actually in terms of the security access they have, they may be considered higher grade. Um, but they can have lots of people working for them, lots of different companies, lots of large companies and small companies. So you have to be sensible about, A, understanding who the vendors are, being able to put together that definitive list of who the vendors are, and then actually being able to uh, treat them accordingly. So you know, to be able to risk uh, monitor them and understand their risk profile against their access to data or their physical access to the buildings and uh, the assets of the organization okay i think one of the other um basically errors uh, highlighted by the regulator following the 
freedom of information request put out to them with. Uh, they mentioned uh, f failure to manage adequate IT capacity. I mean, is that anything to do? I mean, you mentioned again the other day that there's been more data created in the last two years than, than in the previous 30 years put together. And I, and I imagine, you know, with the Internet of Things and uh, more and more satellites going up into space and connecting more of the global economy and businesses, that's only going to you know, become an even bigger issue, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it wasn't just over the last 30 years, Chris. It was um, more data created in the last two years than had been created um, since the beginning of human history, so recorded history. Now, obviously, our ability to create data and record data now is far um, is far greater, as you're indicating with uh, you know your comments about the Internet of Things. But yeah, phenomenal um, statistics about around data creation. But the failure to manage adequate IT capacity really comes down to an IT governance um, right. failure, I would say. IT governance and IT monitoring. Um, you know, same thing uh, ultimately because you can't monitor it. If you're not monitoring, you can't govern it. So you've uh, got to make sure that you've got all the aspects there covered. So if an organisation is having those kinds of root causes for for why something failed, I, you know, I and Fistep, we tend to look at these things from okay, well, what actually went wrong to allow that to happen? What should have been in place to aid an organisation to make the right decisions and to be data led about their outcomes? What other uh, sort of root causes uh, stood out for you in the, the article that we, uh, we read on the, uh, the BBC website? Well, along the sim a similar line to the last one is the change management one. Um, so change management um, has a couple of uh, meanings in IT, but the, the meaning that they're taking here is that um, some aspect of a, of a network or of a computer system has been changed. Okay, and yeah. what they're saying is there was a change management failure or something went wrong during change management. Perhaps there was no change management, and that meant that the organisation was left open to attack or data breach, whatever it may be. Um, so that comes down to again um, an IT governance failure because if you've not got good change management in place, then the chances are that you're not able to mandate the capabilities of a a rollback plan or the implementation of a rollback plan for each and each change. The changes may not be thoroughly reviewed before they're actually approved to go ahead. Um, I've seen scenarios where a project manager is able to you know, sign off the complete implementation and go live of you know, large computer systems. Um, you know, that may sound to some people as a really good idea and something that uh, to be aimed for. But the reality is that there has to be an infrastructure change manager who understands the entire environment, understands the consequences of something going live today as opposed to going live tomorrow. And they should be looking at all those aspects and the number of changes in the round. So, you know, has something changed yesterday that the project manager wasn't aware of that now means that this system is more exposed today than it would have been yesterday, for example? Sure, sure. And that, that sort of leads on to the potential for process or control failure, doesn't it? Yeah, very similar. Um, very similar. In, in some respects, uh, process and or control failure is perhaps the, the catch-all for some of these other things that have gone wrong. Um, you know, if your change management has gone wrong, that is actually uh, a type of uh, process um, and control failure. Mm. Another related statistic um, in the article we read was that a third, a third of firms apparently don't perform regular cyber assessments. So I find that surprisingly low. I mean, is that, does that fit in with your assessment? 
Uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately it does. Organizations tend to treat um, information security and cyber assessments as a one and done. Um, you know, oh, we've done one of those this year. We don't need to do anything again. It's a bit, I don't know, this, uh, this, this analogy is, um, it, well, it's a bit like um, looking at your, your speedo when you're accelerating and saying, well, I looked at it five minutes ago and I was at 30 miles an hour. So I'm assuming I'm still at 30, even though you know, you're pressing the pedal down and uh, you're still accelerating. You know, just because at that point in time I was doing 30 miles an hour, um, it doesn't mean I'm still doing 30 miles an hour if I continue accelerating. In a, to bring that back into a cybersecurity or information security um, kind of um, situation, yeah. if you've checked today that you're safe, the situation and the scenario has continued to change since then. There's perhaps been other change management activities, you know, firewall, new firewall has been put in or one taken out, et cetera, et cetera. That kind of stuff can make really big differences to an organization. It could be as well that a new uh, exploit, software exploit has been discovered and actually hackers are really taking advantage of that. So it may not be that something has changed in your environment. It may be that something has changed outside of your environment that you have to be aware of or be able to react to quickly. I, I think I, I can liken it to the experience I had recently while I was working on a Word document and uh, wasn't saving as I went along. And then at the end of the evening, I closed my MacBook, woke up in the morning and uh, went to look at the work that I'd done the day before and I'd lost four hours worth of work. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, tell the ladies and gentlemen, Chris, um, how much sympathy I gave you. Absolutely zero. <laughs> <laughs> You actually thought it was quite funny, I think. Oh, well, I, no, no, I didn't. I did have, uh, I did have more sympathy for you than I, than I expressed on the grounds that obviously you were going to have to repeat that work, and that meant that we were paying you for to do work for uh, for not saving it again. But at the same, you know, at the same time, you know, we've all been there. I, I, I sort of have a nervous twitch whenever I'm uh, working on documents, and uh, you know, I'm constantly hitting, you know, uh, Command S or Control S um, to uh, save. Uh, save documents. It's almost a nervous twitch from having lost data years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'm with you on that one now. Um, I think lastly, I mean, one, one, one other article that uh, was I found of interest uh, outside of this uh, regulatory report, and I think this actually touches more on the, on the uh, reputational aspects of uh, cyber attacks. But uh, there was a story um, uh, in the uh, a, a directors and officers. If anyone knows what a directors and officers. So it's a type of insurance for senior executives, uh, generally, well, it can be across all sorts of organisations, but this one, I think, was more related to FedEx. Um, they were hit with a cyber attack-related securities tweet. Um, that looks like the sort of thing that has uh, got potential to go large in terms of uh, class actions, particularly in the US. Um, you know, what, what could FedEx, you know, I don't know if you're aware of what... Uh, what the FedEx incident, but is this is this something that you know, businesses or directors should be finding concerning? Absolutely, they should. I mean, information security, cybersecurity, data privacy are all board level um, concerns and questions, and and where they're not in organisations, they genuinely should be. Um, there are many reasons why these things can happen. Um, you know, a good friend of mine. Um, who's responsible for information security, um, a, a large insurer, um, says we have to be on our game 24-7. The hackers mm. only have to be on their game for 
you know, for part of the time to actually win through or to break through. But we have to be on our game all of the time because we're being attacked on a regular basis. But I think one of the aspects of uh, the FedEx case um, was that um, I believe yeah. it came yeah. from... It was, um, I think the key point about that was that it completed a, a large acquisition of TNT that, Express. That's exactly what I was going to say. It came as part of an acquisition. And... Hmm. You know, FISTEP helps organisations and helps our clients uh, around uh, the point of acquisition to ensure that they are aware of and understand the uh, the risk that they're taking on by and you know, as part of the acquisition. Not just the change risk; that's part of uh, part of the process too. Not just the project risk, understanding which projects are in flight and how much they're actually going to cost uh, to complete. Uh, those aspects have to be analysed, ideally as part of due diligence, but if not as part of due diligence, then immediately after acquisition, immediately as the organisation is looking at how they're going to implement and integrate these organisations together. And even if it's a light integration, um, you know, if a CIO or a CISO is responsible for the security of this newly acquired organisation, they should make sure that they have an understanding and awareness and that this organisation's at the same level as the rest of the group, should we say. Well, it's interesting, yeah, but in terms of the FedEx incident, when they, they took over uh, the TNT operation, I mean, well, the TNT operation was crippled by the Petia cyber attack. Um, and that's that's what, uh, and it filtered across, uh, across the organisation. So, uh, it's a pretty salutary lesson for anyone out there contemplating a, a merge, an acquisition. Uh, and as you said, as you, as you said before, Dan, it's something that you've talked about before um, on the on mergers and acquisitions and how people should be doing their due, uh, due diligence. Uh, and on that note, um, anyone who's interested in that aspect could uh, download that from the uh, Fifth Step website, um, which if they go to www.fifthstep. Uh, dot com that's f i f t h s t e p dot com uh, you'll find podcasts uh, YouTube videos uh, and also a few blogs that you've read Darren yeah absolutely it's a uh, of course uh, we both would say this Chris it's a great resource so you know there's a lot of information there there's got a lot of thought leadership and uh, you know we do uh, put quite a lot of effort into uh, you know, both making these recordings and then writing up the information afterwards. So you know, do uh, take advantage of that. Um, and if you want to reach out to us, uh, you know, do please uh, follow us on Twitter and reach out to us there. Uh, if you get your wherever you get your podcast from, you know, do please uh, rate us on that platform, whether it be iTunes or somewhere else. Uh, we really appreciate that. And we're also quite active on LinkedIn as well, so you can find. Uh, both myself and Chris on LinkedIn, uh, as well as Fifth Step, so you can reach out to us there, and um, um, yeah, we're always welcome uh, comments and feedback and conversation with listeners. Good stuff. Okay, well on that note, thanks for your time again, Darren, and look forward to the next podcast. Thanks, Chris.